time for taking care of business on Midlands 183. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Midlands 103. Hello and a very good evening to you. It's Tuesday the 12th of April. I'm Ronan Berry and this is Taking Care of Business coming up between now and 8pm. Well, you heard in the news there as well, inflation and price rises just everywhere at the minute. And rising inflation is threatening the very future of many construction companies unless immediate action is taken. Director General of the CIF, Tom Parlin, will outline shortly the actions needed and also discuss the role that that sector can play in housing Ukrainian refugees in this country. Courier Colm Smullen from Mullingar recently returned to the Ukraine-Poland border on another aid run and he's remained there to assist the volunteer operations ever since. He'll give a quick update on the situation as it is out there at present in about 10 minutes' time. Very interesting too and worth a listen. Midlands LGBT, LGBT Plus project are hosting an awfully launch day later this month and they've just unveiled a window display competition for local businesses around the Tullamore area. Find out how you can get involved a little bit later on too. And to finish out this evening, you can meet the awfully publican named President-elect of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. Again, a sector that has faced many challenges over the past two years. So looking forward to hearing what the new incoming president will be looking at, what kind of key strategic objectives they might have in terms of rebuilding that sector and interested to see if there are any lessons learned maybe on, on how we socialise and how we might do it differently. So I say lots coming up over the next hour. To get in touch with me here in the studio, you can do so by text and WhatsApp on 083 103. As always, delighted to hear your opinion on the pressing business matters. But up first this evening, a huge announcement for the Midlands last week with the confirmation that the National Ploughing Championships in Ratanesca will also include the World Ploughing Championship this year too. It'll run for four consecutive days um, in September. Everyone thinks very much looking forward to that. The ploughing, of course, makes a welcome return after two postponements due to COVID-19. And you'll be well aware that the ploughing is now a multifaceted event. So 2022 will see the return of so many familiar features, one of which is the Innovation Arena. The 2022 version was launched just last week too um, and following two years of online competitions, it's back in person with products and stuff for you to see and to look and see where Irish innovators and entrepreneurs are leading the, the charge as well. So I'm delighted to be joined now by the Senior Development Advisor for Agritech, Climate and Sustainability at Enterprise Ireland, James Maloney. James, very good evening. Who are you looking for for the Innovation Arena 2022? Hi, Ronan. Yeah, we're, we're looking for um, our traditional ag tech companies and also the entrepreneurs um, that see like they have a role to play in changing the future in the in the industry and um really looking at the climate change agenda agenda and uh, how we're how we're positively going to, to impact that and we we have a great reputation globally and we're, we're exporting irish agri-tech products to about 140 countries uh, generating about 1 billion in sales and employing 4000 people so we're we're making a, a, a big impact globally uh, and that's what we're we're we're, we're looking for, for for innovators that that have a solution and um well, it's really part of our, 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 our new strategic um, plan in Enterprise Ireland that the pillar of agri-tech will sit with climate change and sustainability. Um, and we can see that food security in the last, in the last month has really been a high emphasis uh, in these uncertain times. Those numbers you've given are, are quite, they're very impressive for a country of our size too. And it kind of shows that this, the innovation arena especially has been 
a kind of a launch pad for lots of companies and lots of inventions. Yeah, and um, we can see down through the years, like we've had inventions from Malone, Dairy Master, um, Alltech Keenan, uh, some of the the, 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 the brand in bioscience last year in Tralee, in Tralee um, a really good one this year in, 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 with the way the fertilizer prices have gone, it's actually reducing the, the amount of uh, nitrogen by 20%. Um, so with the gas and oil prices, it's more that type of innovation that we're looking to, to get more more efficiency from less inputs. Um, as, as we know, everybody has been, been squeezed by inflation. Uh, you, you've touched on it. And like even we see companies that are, are, are cancelling kind of proposed developments because the cost is simply getting too high for them. Um, so it's, it's, it's the technology that can help us kind of bridge that and go to that next level where we can maintain the, the food security that the world needs uh, while also minimising the damage on the on the in, in the on the climate and on the environment. I suppose food security is a term that none of us really and truly expected to be back in our vocabularies. Um, events in Ukraine have have substantially changed that now as well. But obviously, agritech it does it has that opportunity to really look at how we produce food. I mean, there's been so much talk about the national herd, the, the size of the national herd, um, about the, the use of fertilisers as well, and, and all that kind of thing. So, like, really, in terms of, I suppose really getting innovators out and the entrepreneurs out to come up with these ideas what are you expecting from it like you know when it comes to looking at something like food security where are you expecting the ideas to come from and what areas can real change be brought about in yeah it's um it, it's it, if we if we look at ireland generally we have a brilliant reputation for producing food and we have a brilliant reputation for producing uh, agricultural equipment so it's probably the tech element I'm 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 looking at uh, where we're going to see some of the solutions. If we look at the hybrid, uh, the, the Google engineer that teams up with the the farmer and um, the engineer to come up with some uh, bit of data that's going to, to help us understand what's happening in the field and the crops a little bit more. We can see like the demand for wheat at the minute will be. Um, really really exceptional so if we, if, we, if we can look at well if there's technology and sensors or algorithms and satellite data that we don't know or has been there that has been a, a, and someone has an idea on how to do that uh, on, a, on a high level or generate that right down to the to like Seamus Dunn uh, last year who is um, developed a very very simple um, crush for, uh, for for use with heifers and going into for and robotic milking so it's it's really innovation at every level, uh, Ronan. We have we have a number of categories, um, and we will be including climate uh, change in it this this year. Uh, we have the traditional engineering, ag tech. Uh, we'll also have safety, um, and it's it, it is it is looking at kind of best in class uh, innovation from our established companies, and then looking at the new exciting startup. Uh, Ideas that are coming through that that will need a little bit of help from the from the bigger, more established guys, and our support where we naturally will come in and, and help these guys get a get the get the feasibility and get the R and D support that they need to develop their ideas. Just because if you look at it, the full list of events there, and people can see it on the enterpriseireland.ie website, but there must be great satisfaction as well in seeing inventions or ideas that come really from ground level, like, you know, from a lean principle, it's the, it's the, it's the type of ideas that any company is looking for. The people who are doing the work, the farmers doing the everyday work, that sometimes can come up with a, an absolute game changer of an idea. 
Yeah, and it's it's uh, we see that so often. Uh, companies uh, like Moo Call in the past, like with the sensor for predicting when a when a cow is going to calve, and we taking away the uh, and even uh, Marti last year when we when we had COVID, uh, this company pivoted straight into live uh, on on street uh, online mart uh, bidding and. If you were to tell my dad years ago that we were going to buy cattle without ever going to a mart, he'd look at you uh, and say that you were absolutely, you know, not going to happen. But we look, we look at these guys and their ability to to, to react and uh, implement these solutions um, when pushed on it. It's really satisfying to see it, and it's 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 solutions that are down solved at that level that are filtering up through the through the ecosystem that really give a great deal of satisfaction both to the, to the founder and the inventor and to, all, to the people and the staff in Enterprise Ireland that support them. Well, if Irish companies are exporting agri-tech products to over 140 countries, we're definitely doing something right. So it's really, uh, be, we'll all be watching with bated breath to see what's revealed in September in Ratanesca. But for now, James, thank you so much for coming on this evening. Thanks, Ronan. And if you want to find out more about that, I said .ie earlier, it's actually .com, enterprise-ireland.com. Look up their events section there and you'll find out all the information you need about the Innovation Arena um, and, and the various the entry forms, the criteria as well, plus all the categories that you can win in. There's a lot of them there. And as James said, there would be more added around climate change and sustainability there too. Wow, 140 countries, though, over, over 1.4 billion per annum. It's uh, fantastic figures and one that is set to grow, I would say, too. So stay tuned. After a break, you're going to hear from Colin Smullen, the courier, as he is at the minute out on the Ukraine-Poland border. He's remained there for the last 12 days, just doing some voluntary work, along with his 14-year-old son, Dara. That's coming up straight after this break. Coming up soon, the rising inflation in the construction sector is putting huge pressure on many construction companies, particularly those involved in public works contracts. Tom Parlin of the CIF will be along shortly to discuss that. And also you're going to hear from a local LGBT plus group who are about to launch in Offaly in the coming weeks. It did so unleashed last year. It's now Offaly's turn, so that's coming up very shortly. But first, I want to cast your mind back to around the 15th of March. Colm Smullen of Smullen Couriers in Mullingar had just returned to Ireland following a a run to the Polish-Ukraine border in order to deliver some essential supplies. Well, Colm, he first went back in March. He went back again on the 2nd of April and he's remained there ever since as a volunteer on the ground. His 14-year-old son, Dara, is there with him too. So what compelled Colm to stay this time and what is it like witnessing the growing humanitarian crisis? Well, I spoke to Colm via Zoom at around 5pm today to find out. Yeah. Basically, we went back out to the same village with another another van out of medical aid, and we, we delivered that to that village, and which they forwarded into the into Ukraine the following day. But we um, moved down into where it's about two hours more down to a can't even pronounce the name of the place, P R E Z E M Prismel or something like that. It's to a former Tesco's building that was taken over by the government to use as a refugee uh, center for sorting out, figuring out where people are going for feeding them when they come across the border. It's only about 10 minutes from the border. You can drive it, no problem, and right down to the border and look over at the end. But what do you call it? Tired, weary people are arriving here and they need to be fed. So they could arrive here all night, all day long in buses. They could arrive in the middle of the night in cars. Like I drove down the other night to the border and just random people with, with maybe five or six kids just come walking out. It can take five hours. When they get through the, Pol- or the Ukrainian checkpoint, there's a no man's land in between that and the Polish one. And that's where the big problem is to end up four and five hundred people standing shoulder to shoulder in a queue. I've just been talking to someone who's at the border there the other day. 
So the, the stand for the four or five hours queued between in the snowman's land waiting to go through the Polish checkpoint. And there's not even a toilet. So the girl was telling me that when they need to go to the toilet, that's going to run back to the beginning of the queue and go to the toilet and then have to stay at that end. They can't come back up the queue. So basically people stay in the queue for five hours. But So they eventually get here anyway, absolutely exhausted. And they're given a bed here overnight and then to, to figure out where they're, where they're going. But basically we came down here anyway to give Joe from Dublin some money to, he's paying for the flights and coming or flights and um, luggage and all that for people. So we can now to give him some money that we had risen. Uh, it ended up around 5,000 we gave him. But we came down just to do that and look around, but we ended up, we're here maybe eight, nine days now at this stage, um, just, just mucking in whatever of, has to be done. What kind of jobs or tasks are you doing there? Well, today I, I myself and another Irish guy from Kilkenny has done everything from Impton bins to mopping up kids' vomit all over the place. Uh, and then you could be like, now we're in there dishing out pancakes for some Swiss Swiss guys. They're outside in the yard just cooking pancakes as fast as they can cook them. And Dara's in there, and I was doing it as well until you were, until you uh, set this up. Um, but then you can be making up beds, dismantling beds. Uh, you could be sitting beside Joe trying to translate, figure out for people what Ireland's about. Is it a good option for them to go to? There's not a mad amount of people wanting to go to Ireland because it's so much handier to go to Poland and Germany and that by train and bus. And then if they want to go back to the Ukraine in a few months when this is over, hopefully they can just tip back. But the people who are going to Ireland are, are, the, are the people that want to go to relations that's there already. Or like the reason there was a couple that wanted to go to Ireland purely because the, the elder, elderly woman's cancer treatment stopped a month ago and she wanted to get to Ireland to her, to her daughter who where she could get her treatment again. So from the time she sat down at the desk here, we had her three hours from that. We had her sorted with tickets and we had her in the airport. The airport's two hours away. It's kind of, it's, it's horrible when you think that she's had to undergo all that queuing and that, that movement yeah. across borders. Well, it was, exactly. it's understandable why people might want to relocate to countries closer at hand. I mean, there's a huge effort taking place here. But you mentioned there just in that piece around vomit. And that, that's a huge issue that people probably mightn't be aware of, that because there's gatherings of people and lack of sanitary facilities and, and the months they've spent or the weeks they've spent moving, it's, it's causing a lot of issues in terms of spread of disease yeah. and viruses. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And it's not, it's not, it's not as viruses, it's, um, it's uh, things like uh, hair lice. Like there was an uh, outbreak of hair lice in the room with 400 or 500 beds yesterday. So that meant that the guys, Darren, the guys had to bag up every bit of bedding, pillows. And there's a shortage of pillows here the whole time, a shortage of bedding. So to bag up everything and put it outside and leave it there for a couple of days, I think you can use it again eventually when it's when the, the lice has died, but and clean it as well. But um, so that resulted in random guys like me. I didn't do it now yesterday; I wasn't around. But random guys, volunteers, just going across the road to their version of Lidl or Aldi and just filling a van full of blankets and pillows and back in and dished them out, picked out a wrapper, and they were used last night. So it's like the thing I can't get over here is. As I said to somebody here yesterday, a gang of guys that are here could open up the biggest hotel in the world at the moment and run it because it's been ran 99.9, sorry, 100% by um, volunteers. Like everyone here is a volunteer. Everybody. Like even the food, this crowd called World Central Kitchen to do all the food. It's all free. 
you mentioned there about bedding and stuff like that. So what are you seeing there on the ground in Poland as, as well as the bedding? What are people really in need of or the volunteers most looking for? More volunteers, the whole thing, because like I'm leaving tomorrow to go home. And like it is kind of working out because every day you come here, there's a new class of volunteers, whether from like Dara's working with young lads, 14, 13, 14 years of age here. And Dara's only 14 himself. Like there is people coming over with their kids and it's the best thing that you could ever, ever do for a child. To let them see what it's like, you know. Um, What's it like dealing with the human stories, Colin? You're you're seeing these cases. You mentioned the woman who had had to forego a month's cancer treatment. What's it like when you deal with the real human stories there that a lot of us only see news headlines about? Well, you've probably seen some Facebook pictures I've been putting up. But a guy this morning sitting in a chair and he laying to one side his head really frail he looked like he was 95 and he just sitting there he had a clue under the earth where he was where he was going and like just to see something like that it just breaks your heart and see maybe four kids lying in one bed trying to sleep at night and their lights are all on and you're like this is so wrong you know all because of stupid politics you know um by one madman or one mad country you said there you're, just, you're planning on getting home when do you when do you expect uh, we're leaving this is another funny thing this start this this trip gets weirder by the day. I'm leaving here tomorrow morning at seven o'clock. I'm now bringing one, two, four dogs, a cat, I think, or two cats. And the best part is two pet rats. Wow. One child. <laughs> she came over to us and she wanted one family to go to Ireland. A lovely little dog. And she was 100% sure she'd have to leave the rats behind. And she was crying her eyes out. And I say, go on, put them in there. It's in the ground. That's bad. You don't foresee any customs issues or that bringing those in or how do you get clearance for that type of thing? As the guy says in the Irish Laho ad, we'll figure it out. <laughs> no doubt you will, Colin. It's incredible yeah. what you're doing. Listen, and uh, But overall, I just have to say thanks to everybody since I came here and been pestering everybody on Facebook, just trying to get a, a picture about the whole thing of how it, how it is. And people have been amazing. Like, Revolut has been on fire like with money coming and not one penny has been wasted. Like, even Joe, the guy that's here... <laughs> When you see someone in a really bad situation, he pays for their flights and pays for coming up, and you know they have nothing, and you know they're going to Ireland where the prices are crazy. He basically gives them cash to bring with them as well, you know. But you just get a feel of some people just don't have anything because they're coming. Some of the kids or get families are coming here from have been in bunkers or houses for bunk basement of houses for like the last month, and they come in filthy, dirty, and dragging younger, older kids, dragging the younger kids, and some of them don't have parents, and it's just it's mad. Wow. Man, it's hard to comprehend it. But anyway, people have been great. So. Money's coming in, and we're, we're using it as much as we can on. And there you go. The money, the, you know, people putting their time and effort to good use. And Colm is just painting a picture of what it's actually like, you know, working in the humanitarian effort out near the Poland-Ukraine border. And as I say, him and his son Dara went out on the 2nd of April. They're still there. They're due home in the coming days. And uh, as I say, bringing all sorts with them and just people genuinely trying to do their best and, and make a difference and help. And Colm is going back out again in a couple of weeks with another run. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of information on his social media channels there about what they're looking for and how you can get involved staying close to home coming back to Ireland and the Midlands now and going to speak now to Christina Fitzharris Christina is involved with Midlands LGBT plus project they had a quick launch in Leash last year in Port Leash and they're now looking at launching in Tullamore later this month and uh, there's a little competition for businesses around the area and so to find out how they can get involved and what the project is all about I'm delighted to welcome Christina now Christina can you tell us about Midlands LGBT plus project 
Hi, Ronan. Yeah, I can indeed. So, yeah, we started the project um, about a year and a half ago. And we started it originally in Leash. It started as Leash LGBT Plus Project. And very quickly, we, we realized from inquiries and stuff coming in that this, this was not a part of a service that was just needed in Leash. It was needed all over the Midlands. So what we are is a, a service for adults that are LGBT to help them kind of meet other people, to help them reduce isolation, really. Like um, the pandemic has escalated isolation for everyone. I suppose all over Ireland, but for for LGBT plus adults in the Midlands, it's really really had a huge gap in you know them being able to travel to Dublin or them being able to meet people in their area and stuff. So that's what we started, and we just it came out of control. I suppose we we started with one little group, a social group in Leash, and now we have over ten groups and over a hundred service users per month. And you've lots of exciting uh, things uh, planned for the actual launch in Offaly. Yeah, absolutely. So on the on the twenty third of April, we're going to be in that area outside Hugh Lynch's bar in the on the road there, um, from one to four thirty, having a family day. So we'll have things like drag queen bingo. We'll have lots of games for the kids, face painting, and stuff. And then at the night, we're going to have an event in in Hugh Lynch's bar that evening as well. But in the lead up to it, we're really excited. Last year, we did a similar kind of style thing in Leash, where we had a Leash Proud window display competition where everyone got a pack, everyone that signed up got a pack to decorate their window in rainbows and pride flags. And it really, you know, it turned the town into this beautiful big rainbow for a week before our launch in Leash. And we're doing the same in Tullamore over the next week or two now in the lead up to the event. And when you come to judge it, what are you looking for in particular? Yeah, so we're looking for really who um, who gets the most creative, because everyone gets the same pack. Now, obviously, people can add to it and do different things. Um, some of the things we love to see is people like paint on their window and they get their, their window markers out and they paint little pride flags and different things. Um, and it really just brightens up the, the whole town. And I suppose some people like the library sent me in some images today. They didn't have a window to, to even decorate, but they, they put together a lovely display inside the library. So there's loads of ways to get creative and get involved, even if you don't, say, have prime window real estate on the main street. And for people that want to find out more or to get involved or indeed get some of those packs that they have particularly for business owners, how can they get in touch with you and find out more about the group? Yeah, absolutely. So you can just get us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, any of the socials at Midlands LGBT or you can contact us at help at midlandslgbtproject.com or just go on to our website, which is again midlandslgbtproject.com. And you mentioned there how the group is growing in numbers and in people getting involved and being that social connection for people who, you know, so many of us missed that social connection over the past two years. Where do you see things going in future? Is things looking, you know, bright for the group in the Midlands? And and you see that membership continuing to grow as, as more and more people get involved? Absolutely, yeah. Well, look, we were established in Leash as a very small group and, you know, we're delighted to see it grow and grow um, and yeah, we have over 100 service users now and the, the interest in Offaly has been has been huge. So we're, we're delighted to see we have two groups in Offaly up and running at the minute and the demand is there for more and more. So. That's it. So anybody that wants can get in touch there, as Christina said. But for now, Christina, thank you so much for that and all the very best with that launch. So if you're a business around Tullamore and you want to get hold of your window display pack in order to enter that competition in the run up to the launch of the Midlands LGBT plus project in Offaly on the 23rd of April, you can do so by getting in touch. Help at Midlands LGBT project dot com. They can send you out all the information, the packs you need and, uh, you know, 
creativity just go for it you know come up with something really good and even as Christina pointed out if you don't have a, a window per se there's always ways around it and, and be creative in what you come up with as well it's an important initiative too let's get the towns painted up as well it went really well in Port Leash last year so let's all more be next and it'll follow suit through other towns and counties around the region now after a break I'm going to be talking to the Director General of the Construction Industry Federation Tom Parlin because at the minute the construction companies and contractors are facing huge challenges due to inflation in particular when they are involved in public projects where the, there's fixed fees and fixed contract sums some of which the room for negotiation is pretty much non-existent so what might happen with those contracts how might future contracts be handled and what action needs to be taken at government level in order to ensure that construction companies don't go through the wall because of this crisis. That's coming up straight after this break. Still to come this evening, the awfully man who has been selected as president-elect of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. He'll be along to talk about his plans and ambitions and just talk about the sector as it emerges post from a post-COVID uh, into a post-COVID world and see what the future for the sector holds. But uh, now, first, I'm going to go to another uh, famous awfully man and it's to discuss all things around the construction sector and particularly inflation and price rises. Now, some of this goes back a number of years to Brexit and the initial challenges it threw up. Then we had things like the Suez Canal crisis, which, albeit short-lived, caused a lot of disruption to supply chains. Add in two years of COVID and now the rise of inflation, it is putting some construction companies, really now, putting them into very, very precarious situations, particularly where this involves public works contracts. So to find out more, Tom Parland at the the, um, from the Construction Industry Federation, the Director General, is here to just kind of talk about what's happening at the minute, what contracts in particular are affected, and indeed what actions need to be taken. Tom, what effect is inflation having on public works contracts at present? Well, it's, I suppose, Ronan, it's making them very unviable. Um, generally, if you're working in a private sector and you have an agreement with someone and the price of one of the inputs, even though you've shook hands or signed a contract, uh, you know, if you go along and you say the price of the steel since I uh, uh, tendered for this has gone up by uh, 100% and I can't afford to do it, generally there is scope to come to an agreement and decide, you know, to have an uplift in prices. But unfortunately, the, what's called the, the Public Works Contract, the PWC, it's been amended and amended and amended in Ireland. It's a particular contract for Ireland now at the moment. Uh, but it doesn't have any capacity to um, allow any inflation in price. And it's been a bone of contention with CIF on behalf of contractors and builders, you know, for the last long number of years. Uh, But now that we have this hyperinflation, it's just made it untenable. So we've had a number of, I suppose, showdowns with the department. It's the Office of Government Procurement that have responsibility for this, and they come under the Department of Public Expenditure and under Michael McGrath. So we've met Michael McGrath back uh, the week before last, uh, just to say that this is like an absolute emergency now. He accepted it's a big problem. Uh, he's gone off with his officials to look at it, and he's going to come forward with some, hopefully, some solution shortly. Uh, but we we await with, with, with great interest. Yeah, it sounds like time is of the essence in that one. And if that applies to contracts that have already been negotiated and started, what is happening with contracts that have yet to start? Because there can often be quite of a, a lag between, say, being awarded a contract and actually starting on site. Well, I suppose that's the biggest problem in that it takes a long time. And like some of the contracts that are being worked upon now were tendered uh, 12 and up to 18 months ago. So clearly there was a whole different scenario, you know, with regard to like 
uh, if you take steel, some steel is not available at all anymore, but there's a 100% uh, increase in, uh, in, in lots of steel products. Uh, hot rolled steel that's used for a lot of modular buildings now and rolled it into whatever sort of design that you like is, con- is risen to 1,500 quid. It's up 600 quid since the, since the middle of February. Um, re- rebar, which is you know used in every foundation, uh, in every pore that you use, uh, is gone uh, up 50% from 900 quid to 1,350 quid just in the last couple of weeks alone. So this is sort of untenable. Uh, the basic construction materials, I suppose, steel, um, concrete, cement, and timber, they're all the most affected ones. But then when you look at any cable that involves copper or uh, look at switches or look at uh, piping or anything else that's that's involved in coming from the uh, gas or from the uh, from the oil industry, all of them have increased massively as well. So it is sort of a perfect storm at the moment, uh, and it's certainly going to have an impact on the government's housing for all policy and for the National Development Plan and even some of the climate change um, uh, actions that are being planned by the government. What's actually happening with contractors at the minute? I mean, how, how worried are they and how, you know, how likely is this to potentially bring about you know, closures of companies? Is it, are we that close to the breaking point for some of your members? Well, we've had one major uh, uh, problem already with Roadbridge uh, have gone into receivership. Uh, a massive turnover company around for a long, long time, uh, doing a lot of public work con- works contracts and so on. And unfortunately, the fallout for when a big contractor turning over hundreds of millions goes under, you know, it brings an awful lot of other uh, co- contractors and suppliers uh, with it. Um, and it's carnage. So unfortunately, at the moment, there's a lot of rumour circulating around about different companies. Most of it, uh, thanks be to God, uh, unfair and untrue. But it just creates a bit of helter-skelter around and concerns over people that are slow in paying and so on. So it is a big worry. But I'd say nobody, and it's not any any direction from the CIF or whatever, no individual contractor is signing a public works contract contract at the moment because it's impossible to price it and the fact that you're not going to get any scope for increases in price for any inflation, uh, it just means they won't. Generally, other contracts, like this doesn't happen in the UK or across the continent, uh, what's called a PVC, a price variation clause. That's the most common element of any construction contract to, to make an allowance that if there is an increase or a decrease uh, in products from the time it is tendered, that will be allowed in the contract. But Ireland wrote that out of our contract altogether back in 2007. Yeah, you would imagine there would be some special mechanism within that if inflation hits a certain level, like you refer to as hyperinflation, that it would automatically kick in. Is this likely now to cause that stagnation and to take some of the heat out of the industry? And again, you mentioned there earlier, like the from a housing perspective, there's a huge shortage of housing and has been for about a decade now. Is that just going to further delay the delivery of the housing units that are so badly needed? Well, I think it will. Now, I suppose the promise of something is probably keeping some people going. Uh, but you know, it, the, the the announcement from the minister can't come quick enough to give a bit of comfort to people because there's a massive lot of housing projects underway to try and deal with the existing national housing crisis that we have. And then on top of that now, we have a new pressure coming on and that Ireland has an obligation to house uh, 2% of the entire uh, Ukrainian refugees. That's our percentage across Europe. And um, we had a meeting with Minister O'Brien yesterday he said there's about 500 uh, refugees per day coming in. The emergency accommodation in terms of hotels and guest houses and private houses and so on, 
that's practically used up at the moment and uh, we're going to have to try and find further so and there's a plea to the construction industry to the to the regular house building industry to try and speed up their operations but looking at all the other alternatives in terms of modular or whatever and that's that's going to put extra pressure upon the whole industry and it's very hard to speed up a sector that as was from where it came from a couple of decades ago is now very much there's a lot of you know there's a lot of red tape there's a lot of potential litigation in it as well is it a process that can be sped up and to deliver not just for Irish people but for you know to house refugees coming in yeah well I made a comment myself to the minister and to the meeting that you know there's an old saying about never let a good crisis go to waste and I think this crisis is identifying the horrific uh, delays and red tape as you said yourself planning like is a nightmare like you can actually build from the time you go on site with a house now and most new houses now are timber frame kits so from the time you go on site put down the base put up the scaffolding get into timber frame kit build a brick wall around it and fit it out generally they can be done 16 16 weeks to 20 weeks but you're likely to be waiting two years to get the planning application through and, and going through all the delays uh, most planning applications are appealed to board Planola, and now we have the new uh, idea of, of judicial review where people that ha- have uh, an, an issue or want to object uh, can just go to the courts seek a judicial review and you know you're lucky if that doesn't uh, if that gets to take another 12 months outside of traditional housing and, and possibly modular construction what other solutions are being mentioned in terms of housing refugees and giving them top quality accommodation because we've got to bear in mind a lot of these people are coming from in similar environments and, and lifestyles to ourselves yeah, well, looking yesterday at the, first of all, I suppose the, the projection is that about 100,000 uh, may come in here. Uh, and we've just got to think about 17,000 altogether. And a good lot of those have found their own accommodation because they're living with people who are here already. But about two thirds of the people coming in at the moment are female, uh, one third are male and a third are minors. So that's the sort of the, what, what they are. But obviously temporary accommodation, which has been renting hotel rooms, guest rooms, uh, and so on, and all the different communities and the Red Cross organising stuff. Then there's vacant buildings, and that's what the big plea from Minister O'Brien was yesterday to the property industry and to construction sort of to identify and to all local authorities have been asked to identify uh, vacant properties. And as we know, there's lots of... I know there's an old hospital in... in um, Baggett Street in Dublin, Baggett Street Hospital, I believe there's over 300 rooms there and it's been empty for the last, I think, maybe nine or ten years. So there's lots of uh, old convents, there's lots of guard stations, army barracks uh, um, and so on, seminaries. Uh, There's a lot of buildings around the country, so it's to identify them and I suppose to maybe evaluate how long it's going to take and how much it's going to take to make them habitable. And then, uh, uh, obviously, there is... um, the new permanent long-term housing to try and speed that up. Uh, but the modular, I suppose, is another area that uh, I've been involved in discussions with the OPW, uh, with some of our main contractors and with some of our specialist modular producers. Uh, you know, they said that, it, that if they get five or six weeks to, you know, uh, get the design and all of the uh, um, design features, uh, the standards in place, because clearly they have to be very good quality and they have to be fire well fire protected and so on that if you get four or five weeks to get all of that agreed that they could turn out you know in excess of 100 uh, housing units every week 
you know, long term. And, and that's, that's probably going to be that, part of the solution as well. And that's exactly, that's that's the benefit of modular construction. But if we go back to the likes of old convents or old, you know, disused hotels or, or the like, is a big challenge in that going to be the in terms of retrofitting? Like, do are they all, do they all have to be renovated now to an A grade or will there be allowances there given the, the state of emergency? Well, could the minister and the government and the Department of Taoiseach have made it clear that in this emergency, as you say, uh, there's a lot of powers, but at European level and so on, like the first priority must be to give some safe harbour and, and protection to uh, to um, uh, refugees. So, you know, there's lots of emergency powers to override, uh, but I suppose the first priority, they must be safe. And certainly you don't want any situation where, you know, particularly from fire, and that has been a, a factor in some of those old buildings. Uh, we've had a situation in the past that for people ha- have concerns about our heritage, that you wouldn't be allowed to lay a finger on some of our older buildings in case you would impact upon the heritage. So uh, there's lots of scope where flexibility is going to have to be brought to bear. Um, and I suppose if you get in uh, any building expert or a, an architect or a surveyor to look at a building, they'll be able to ascertain fairly quickly, you know, what's going to have to be spent. Like, in other cases, you have to provide uh, water, uh, hot water, heating, uh, showers, toilets, all of that. Irish water have been a major challenge to construction over the last number of years because they just don't have the resources to deal with the demands now in terms of getting connections for either new housing developments or industrial developments or whatever. And, uh, you know, there's a concern that if if they're asked to ramp up, uh, you know, on top of what they're providing already for the new housing, that if they have to ramp up to provide extra uh, water connections and so on for uh, emergency uh, refugee accommodation, they just might be able to step up to the mark. So there's a lot of challenges out there from the government and the construction industry are working very closely with them to try and support them in that problem now. Yeah, and look at a very, very innovative, very versatile industry too. Hopefully those challenges can be met and you said maybe long term there might be a, a silver lining as well in terms of maybe expediting the process of planning and et cetera as well. And, and who knows, maybe renovating some of those old buildings in towns, they may then, it may put them in a position to be used as remote working hubs or innovation centres eventually. So look, we'll, we'll hold out hope. Yeah. But for well, now, Ronan, in most, yeah. most country towns and villages, the town centres are vacant or at least the upstairs part of them are. Uh, and that's been regulation hasn't allowed it, fire safety precautions, an awful lot of that. And there's an awful lot of over-regulation that's stopping all of that. A bit of common sense now might prevail, and we might just find that town centres, uh, country town centres, and the same applies in Dublin city centre, a lot of the Georgian buildings, very little. Uh, you know, it's quite a difficult job to try and get planning to have people living up over over a shop or or, or over any commercial premises. So, Hopefully, this might bring a bit of common sense in that area. Hopefully, I think there's not a town in the Midlands that you don't look up from street level and just see vacant units above it. But hopefully, this can bring about some level of change as well as addressing the the humanitarian crisis that's unfolding. For now, Tom Parlin, thank you so much for that this evening. You're very welcome. That's cool. There is Tom Parlin, their Director General of the Construction Industry Federation. I mean, anybody who's involved in the building trade or in the industry or is looking at pricing a house or any sort of development will be fully aware of the the impact inflation is having there and Thomas has touched on some of the material price rises and the the worrying thing I suppose is that's not the end of it when, when does it stop is anyone's question and what impact will that have on public uh, public sector or public um, contracts as well anyway much more to come on that but after the break you're going to meet the Offaly Publican who has been announced as being the present elect of the Vintners Federation of Ireland stay tuned I'll talk to you all very shortly The Vintners Federation Ireland is a national trade organisation for pubs outside the greater Dublin area it boasts over 4,000 members 
And its president-elect is Offaly man John Clendenin. John, of course, is the owner of Giltrap's Pub in Kennedy. He's also a county councillor. And he's actually the first Offaly person who will take up office. Now, the role doesn't officially kick off until May of 2023. But, John, uh, clearly you have great faith and you see great uh, prospects for the pub trade in the years ahead. Absolutely, Ronan, I suppose. Um, if, if anything, over the last... Uh, uh, two years with COVID restrictions. I think uh, we've all learned that you you don't know what you've got until it's gone, uh, and that in particular, you know, relates to, to to the loss of hospitality for a two-year period or, or, or severe restrictions. Uh, and I think as we come out of the pandemic and and you know start to in particular look towards the summer, I think there's a, a cautious optimism uh, amongst the trade and, and probably more of a relevance than than ever before. Uh, and I and I think you know our challenge now as a federation. Um, is to ensure that we uh, remain relevant uh, and that you know we, we continue to see you know innovation being introduced to, to the business and you know if you look at where the trade was 30 years ago uh, in terms of pubs across Ireland you know generally speaking it was about a pint and that was it whereas you know today you know well over half the pubs in, in, in the country are are, are, are selling food uh, you know a large percentage have accommodation attached and, and there have been a whole host of different measures of diversity and innovation uh, in, in terms of product offering to, to ensure that you know the sector remains relevant and you know in such a marketplace today where there's you know such competition for for you know the people spend their disposable income um, it, it is a challenge and you know there is challenges on the horizon as well. Um, Ronan, you know, with the likes of yeah, energy prices, uh, inflation, staff recruitment, uh, insurance, uh, and, 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 and of course as well, that whole aspect of public health and wellness and, 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 and continuing to, to remain relevant to, to consumers. It certainly sounds like you'll have a busy year ahead of you when you do take up office as well. On that whole area around, you know, staff retention, recruitment, will that still be a challenge, do you think, this time next year? Or, or what can the industry do to start attracting people into that area? Yeah, look, I, I certainly think it is, and I think you know overall, I think we need to take a, a longer term approach to this. And, and you know, there's there's certain initiatives which the FI are involved in at the moment with Griffith, Griffith College to introduce the likes of apprenticeships uh, and make it you know more of a of, a, of an appealing or attractive. Um, job proposition and that people can look at it for for as a long term sustainable career option rather than just you know the summer jobs or, or weekends or whatever else you know we have to move more towards a, a, a mainland Europe model where you know people get into hospitality because they see it as a career and you know we we we, do, we don't probably see enough of that at the moment across across the country so I I think it's something that right now we're we're, we're certainly dealing with a, a severe challenge in terms of uh, recruitment and, and training but I think uh, as time unfolds we'll, we'll address it and, and we'll we'll deal with it but I still think there's a longer term focus that's required uh, to ensure that we, we can you know maximise the potential of, of the sector Yeah I think even hearing things like an apprenticeship scheme it does sound like that bit of innovation is coming out and that's exactly the type of the type of input we need as well We often hear of pubs possibly being used as like remote working hubs for people too so there's kind of there's no end to possibilities so I'd say you're looking forward to seeing what ideas your members can come up with yeah, and look, I, I could I could list you out a lot of, of, of innovation that over you know that I've seen over the last number of years, from cocktails to artisan coffees to craft beers, electric car charging stations, cinema nights, nightclubs, sports and big screens, sports sponsorship, music entertainment festivals, poker nights, party packages, beer gardens, outdoor spaces, hurling demonstrations, treasure hunts, uh, and transport. And there's just a few. 
So, you know, really, I think, you know, and I know you spoke about innovation pre- earlier in the programme, you know, there, there is an aspect of, of, of innovation in our trade right now that we've never seen the likes of before. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that aspect of, of, of get up and go energy and enthusiasm among the, among the pub sector um, has never been as high. Brilliant. And I, I, earlier in the show too, you would have heard there's going to be a drag queen competition in Hugh Lynch's later this month as well. So there's no end to it all. But for now, John, congratulations yeah. on the role and all the very best in, in the run up to it as well. And when you take office as well. That's uh, Thank you very much. John Clendenin in there from Giltraps Pub, the first Offaly man to be elected or to be president elect of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. So I told you there was lots going to happen between seven and eight o'clock tonight. Well, lots has happened and I'm pretty much out of time for now, as usual, says you. But anyway, thank you as always for listening. Thank you for your texts as well. Some people have texted in there with some message support for Colm Smullen out in Poland. We'll pass those messages on to him as well and keep you informed as all the work he's doing out there. Stay safe. Talk to you all next week at 7 p.m. Taking care of business returns next Tuesday at 7pm with the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business.